Welcome to The Great Unlearn. Join me, your host, Cal, as we dive deep into understanding and unlearning the programming within us. Let's uncover your inner truth for a life with newfound purpose and freedom. Get ready to question it all in The Great Unlearn. a truly sustainable product for performance using natural materials. I started going down the environmental route, discharging of fabrics and waste and textiles and polyesters, what we're doing to our planet, all made from plastic and oils. And that's when Zenkai and the whole kind of thing started coming together. You played professional hockey, you had a career post-hockey, and then you kind of landed in the apparel industry. Life of an athlete, it's not your own. I made the decision to walk away and I didn't know what it was going to be. I was nervous. I was scared. I went and started coaching after that. And that's kind of what got me on my, my next path. And so how does Zenkai come into the picture? In the state of Oregon, the largest employers are Nike and Intel. So I got to know a lot of these high-end people at both companies if their kids played ice hockey. I met this gentleman that used to work for the Jordan brand at Nike, and he had this new technology that, that Nike wanted to inc- incorporate. The deal didn't, didn't happen. He's like, Doug, you should go meet this guy that built this technology. And we went into business together. Don't have a background in apparel, but he really wanted to take this tech into the sports world. And I had relationships in sports. That's how started. Give me some of these results from the testing. 14 tests, no microbes detected, no odor detected. We did something called vapor transmission tests. So like a polyester shirt might be 300, not breathable at all. Not only are you wearing material, it's not good for the planet, derived from oil and plastic. You're overheating your body as you're wearing it. The Zenkai material activated by Philium, two and a half times more breathable. Some of the most well-known athletes on the planet are saying, Doug, this is incredible. And we haven't brought it to the masses yet. Well, shit. Welcome to Austin, Doug Lynch. Cal, love coming here. Yeah. Love coming here. But, but mostly because you're here, but <laughs> we all seem to have some fun outside of that as well. Yeah. Well, the, the only other time you were here is when we met. Yep. And we got connected through a mutual friend, Makad Brooks. Yep. And he had shared with me, you got to meet Doug. He's doing some really cool stuff in the apparel industry. If nothing else, you guys will have a great time. So we went and had dinner and then you started sharing it. Uh, full disclosure, I was not uh, in investing mode at that point. I had shut things down. And I'm like, I need, I need a bit of a break for this season. And then like halfway through dinner, I'm like, okay, like I need to be a part of this. Like, and because the, the, the Zenkai product and the Philium technology was super compelling, but I, I just had this sense from you learning about your history, you know, through our dinner and uh, just a sense, an intuitive sense of this is someone that, that I want to be partnered up with. And so here we are, um, you know, almost a year later and things have moved quite, you know, significantly since then. Yes. Well, I remember that dinner. I remember um, coming to Austin and we had a mutual friend, Bill Stapleton. And uh, and like, God, I go see Cal. And I texted you and met for dinner. And it's like you, you meet people and there's, a, there's an energetic connection or spiritual connection, whatever you kind of call it. And uh, there's a reason people become friends. And there's a re- reason you pe- meet people sometimes like, hey, that's, that's not my cup of tea. Didn't do anything wrong. How many times you meet someone like, 
They never did anything wrong to you. Mm. Never did said anything, but you just like, ah, oh, they're yeah. yeah he's, okay, he's okay. He's but okay. Not searching yeah. him out next time. Yeah. But then some people you meet right away, like, man, I'd love to spend more time with this person. Like an hour goes by. It's like, that was probably 10 minutes. And I, I can't wait to the next time. And you're one of the guys like blowing smoke here that like I got off the phone with and I always felt better. Like, you know, I always felt more energized, even if I was having a long day or it's, you know, you're mentally or physically exhausted from a, a business transaction or, or whatever else is going on in your life. But every time you and I would talk on the phone, I'm like, man, I feel, I feel better. Mm. And it's like, that's the type of person me per- that I want to surround myself with. And I think if in this life, if you can surround yourself with people like that, you're, you're going to be in good shape. Yeah, I agree. That's well, well, well said. Um, and I definitely, we're going to, we're going to cover Zenkai and Philium, um, certainly throughout this podcast, but I want to dial it back a little bit and, and really get into kind of your origin story and really kind of suss out the things that I saw, you know, in that, that first dinner meeting that we had, um, and you, you, you grew up playing hockey, you played professional hockey you had a career post hockey and then you kind of landed in the apparel industry. But, you know, I, one of the things you said last night that, that I hadn't realized was you had a 15 year career and you had 11 one year contracts. And I just think that's fascinating to live, you know, especially in the professional sports world of what that does to you and what, what kind of resilience that creates. And so just like share, I don't know, whatever you feel like sharing about that, that journey for you that, you know, is kind of most important. Yeah. It's sports are one of those kind of great equalizers where you can come from a very well-off situation. You can come from uh, maybe not so fortunate situation. And did you put the work in? Like, did you work out, you know, think about back in those old eighties Rockies movies, are you out in the barn doing pull-ups with a branch or are you in some high tech facility? At the end of the day, did you put the work in? And I think that's what I love so much about sports is it doesn't matter where you come from, the language you speak, your demographic, your background is, did you put the work in? And it's kind of been instilled with me probably, you know, obviously for my parents first and having three younger brothers and the four of us being uber competitive and you you get into this mindset of like, you show up every day, every day. Nobody feels good every day. But you know what? Some people show up every day. And that's the person that I wanted to become for my family, for my teammates. Uh, now for my wife, it's like, I'm, I like being accountable is something that's very important to me. And one of my earlier kind of advisors said to me, like, you want to be with people that take your call. And like, I want to be strong by people that take my call and I take their, yeah, you might be busy. I'll call you back in 10 minutes or text me. Hey man, I'm on a trip. I'll call you back next week. But like surrounding yourself with people and being accountable. And for me, I learned that through sports because I'm sure a lot of people out there, if they didn't play sports, you wake up, I feel like shit today. I didn't sleep good or whatever. You got to bring it. <laughs> you still got to bring it. And for me, that's without understanding, like I have a high school education, but at the same time I have this this background in sports that have just taught me and Jack Ma calls it the soft skills, but you have this ability, people call it grit, determination, accountability, but you got to show up every day. And I think no matter what line of work you're in as a human being, I, I kind of want to be remembered as someone that shows up every day. Yeah. 
Well, that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm curious, like what were the kind of, what was the most challenging part of that 15 year run where, you know, again, you, you, you didn't sign long, long-term deals and you were in different cities in different countries. I, I think it was honestly believing in myself and then recognizing that it's up to me to get my body and my mind in a place that can, whether it's a rigors of a, of a professional hockey league season, whether it's moving and, you know, the old adage is you can control and control, but you know, you can control. And during my career, I knew that if I didn't play well this year, I won't be signed for next year. So then you got to break that down. Like I got to play well this month. I got to play well this week. I got to play well this day. And you basically build up this kind of resilience of, of every day you're just showing up and doing the best you can do even when you don't, when you don't feel good. And you get a lot of respect for things from my situation, your teammates, and now maybe my colleagues in, in business where being known as a person that's showing up. And I don't really know if I did it conscious, like consciously, but then you look back and you're like, oh man, like I played 14, 15 years. I had 11 one year contracts. Like, hmm. like I, I never thought of it while I was going through it, but it was just like, that was what ended up happening. And um, that means you're playing through injury. You're playing all the time and you're, 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 you know, internalizing some things and you're, you're, you know, maybe being a little stupid sometimes and looking back um, probably shouldn't have played some of the nights I did, but at the end of the day, that's all I kind of knew. Yeah. man. what was your favorite city to play in? I, I would probably say Salzburg, Austria. Uh, mostly I was there for seven years. We ended up winning three championships in the regular season, plus another three international tournaments. So like, like I kind of like a champions league in soccer, we, it was called the European trophy back when I played. Um, but you're playing against the best countries in Russia, the, the teams in Russia, the SEL, the Swiss elite league, Finnish league uh, the Swiss league. And, and whereas Austria, we're not considered a hockey powerhouse as far as the country, but we had amazing teams and, and we, our, our ownership put together an amazing group of players. So probably Salzburg was the, the, the time. And then you get to see Europe and travel around and, um, you know, getting off topic from hockey. I think travel is one of the most important educational components of anybody in the world. I think if you can travel and live and experience other cultures, what that does for you as a growth of the human being, when you come back to wherever your neck of the woods is, I think it's, it's invaluable. Um, and I was so fortunate to have a job where I got to travel and I lived in Europe for almost eight years. And, um, for me, that was, uh, I think that's been a huge part of my character building as well. I remember my first, I flew from Vancouver to Salzburg through Munich. So flight into Munich had never been to Europe before. Sorry. Been to Europe one time before. Um, dropped off. The radio guy picked me up, spoke very, very little English, handed the car keys and showed me my Skoda car for the year. It was pouring rain, Cal, like, hmm. like rain, like you can't eat, like the windshield wipes were going as fast as possible, oh. but you can't even like still see. Yeah. And he says, okay, I'll, I'll base in broken English. I'll see you tomorrow at 8am at the rink to sign documents and whatever. And he handed me a piece of paper. And this is like 2000. Oh God. myself Like, nine or 10, like, like the iPhone had just come out like that. Like you remember like map quest oh, and yeah. all that stuff. And I remember he had me a piece of paper with the, the, you know, Alpenstrasse address written down. He said, we'll find your apartment. And like, he, it's like nine o'clock on a Sunday night. He wants to go home to his family. He drew the short end of the stick out and they come pick me up. Yeah. And you're like, just figure it out. Like no one's holding your hand. Like, and I remember driving around, I got lost 
30 times and Salisbury is not a big place and found it, found a gas station and, you know, found someone to help me with directions to get home. And it's like that simple act, right. Of just like figuring it out. It's like, you only get those experiences when you get outside of this little bubble that we all live in. Cause that's the, the bubble's safe. Bubble's easy. Yeah, it's comfortable, comfortable, but there's no growth in the bubble. It's, it's awesome to stay and relax and unwind and meditate, whatever it is, but there's no growth. No, I think that's one of the big challenges that I think the, the younger generations are having is that they don't have a lot of opportunities in some cases for that. Like you just got to figure this shit out. A lot of it is at their fingertips or, you know, there are a lot of, I guess, parents out there that are trying to do the right thing, but are stunting that ability for growth in just figuring it out. Figuring it out. And, and getting back to the sports aspect, again, I'm not a father yet. And obviously my wife and I um, like to have a family. We're trying this year and I, I get it. You want to give your kids experience. You want them to suffer. Like, why would you want the most important people you on the planet to suffer? Like, I get it. Must be incredibly difficult. But again, there's no growth if you don't suffer. And sports, again, is one of those things where you can suffer. And there's, it's a little bit of like a controlled environment, if that makes sense. Like you can get knocked on your ass. You can lose 15, nothing. You can be booed and feel disappointed or letting your teammates down. But it's like this controlled environment that you can suffer in. It's like, you know, it's not like you're suffering just to make your, meet your basic needs. Um, so I think that's the kind of the suffering is like the sports from me and then and traveling. And having to live in these countries and get by and figure it out. And uh, I, I wouldn't be the person I was if I didn't go through all that. And looking back now, the suffering is what is allowing me to have the opportunities I have now. Yeah. When did you know it was, it was time to move on? I was 32-ish. Um, played my last year in Salzburg. Came back. And you're just trying to get your mindset ready for the next season. And you're going contracts a little bit shittier, not going to go back to Salzburg and what other, another team's going to be a little bit less professional, possibly money's less. And you're like, remember my dad, I sat down with my dad one night and we had some beers and he said, Doug, it doesn't matter what your education background is. It'll probably take you five years to build up some resistance or not resistance and build up some credibility in whatever your next profession is going to be. It's accounting, it's whatever it's going to be. And so he's like, whenever you retire, just kind of have that in the back of your mind. So if you can grind out for another two or three years and retire at 36, 37, like by the time you're 42, maybe you're established in your next career after hockey. Because someone like me, I, there's always going to be a next career. Um, I didn't make the kind of money where I knew I could just retire and then you know, have fun or do investments or whatever. I knew I, I, I'd be working at something for you know, another 50, 40, 50 years. So I remember it really took, it took it, I, I really took it to heart and I sat there and, and decided like, you know what, at, by 37, 38 and closer to 40, I think I'd like to be established in my next life. And so I made the decision to walk away. Yeah. My body's banged up and teeth are all broken and concussions and things like that, but it wasn't nothing catastrophic. I could have kept going back and playing, but I just made the choice that I, I kind of want to take the power back a little bit. Uh, 11 cities in 14 years, four countries contracts, like we mentioned, um, life an athlete, you don't, it's not your own. You're told when to show up, what to wear, what your body fat needs to be, 
what your VO2 max needs to be. Um, you can be traded, released, cut at any time. So you're, you're constantly living in this life where the phone rings and you're like, you could be traded to some city and in a bus the next day, which happened to me a couple of times. And I remember I'm like, you know what? I think I want to take the power back for this next chapter of my life. And I didn't know what it was going to be. I was nervous. I was scared. I don't want to, I, I don't like using the word depressed because it, it's, 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 it's really, really real and dark. And I don't know if I got as far as being really depressed, but I was scared. I was nervous. I was anxious. Um, you also come a little bit, I'm sure people like in the military can relate from this very structured life where then you just wake up and you're like, no one's telling me to do anything. And even though Cal, it's what I wanted, it was scary because there's no, I don't have to work out. I don't have to go to the gym. I don't have to, I could sleep until noon if I want. And so that was a real struggle for me too, is finding the structure. Cause I think human beings naturally do a little bit better when there's structure around um, their life. And I know for someone like me, I really, I love structure and I love routine. Um, so that was really hard when I first retired, but um, I got through it. it. Took me four or five months. Um, I couldn't watch hockey. Didn't really want to talk about hockey. Want to do anything but. And I went and started coaching after that. And that's what kind of made me fall in love with the game from a different perspective uh, from the coaching side. And that's kind of what got me on my, my next path. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think it's an important part to highlight what it feels like when you, you've lived this life I mean, you played professional hockey for 14, 15 years, but you had played hockey up through then. So you were used to regimen and structure and, you know, I think to shine the light on that for, for people who just maybe can't understand how someone has had this incredibly successful career in the NFL or NHL or, you know, pick your sport. And then their life kind of goes to shit afterwards. And it's their, their, it's the guy who gets released from jail and he actually wants to go back in because there's a comfort there for sure. And, uh, you know, this is identity of, I know where I'm supposed to be when I'm supposed to be just being coached in some ways. Cal, you said it right there. I remember every barbecue I'd go to every family event, family reunion. I was like, Oh, you're the hockey player. And what happened to me mentally was that's all I thought I was. Mm. And I go to every engagement, every party, every Christmas event. And only people talked to me about hockey. Like, like I wasn't capable of giving an opinion on anything else. And it messed with me for a lot of years because I'm like, maybe that's, maybe that's all I do. Maybe I'm just do hockey. And I played and now I coach and it, that's my life. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but for me, I just felt like I wanted to disassociate that a little bit. And now what I realized now was hockey was my profession. It was what I did. It's what I loved, but it's not who I am. And that was a change too, more of just an internal emotional change. Um, was not being identified as a hockey player. I'm, I'm a person. That was my profession. And that took me probably about a year to work through as well. <laughs> like a funny story about the routine. I remember even two years after retiring, right around 12 or 1230, I'd be starving because that's when we had pregame meal. And then by one o'clock, all I wanted to do is sleep. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> because in our routine and the way when we played with 12, 1230, nice big meal, get back to your hotel room, one, one fifteen, you sleep from like one to three. And I remember the middle of the day, I, there'd be no reason I'd like wake up. I'd like have a smoothie and like sit around, read the paper. And by 12, I'm like, I'm, ex I'm, ex I'm tired and I need to eat. <laughs> it took us like a year before, like, 
I didn't even do anything today. Why am I so tired? Big two hour nap in the yeah. middle of the afternoon. Yeah. But it's just, I mean, God, for even before I played pro, is like that was like your routine. And my body just got accustomed to to that routine. And it was so bizarre. Yeah. Well, tell me about the coaching career. Where, who were you coaching? Where were you coaching? Yeah, I was in Portland, Oregon, where I retired and went down the local rink. And um, a friend of mine was running the rink and I started working with five-year-old kids. And it was, it was incredible. It was like it was furthest away from being a professional ice hockey player. And I used to work with the kids and have fun every single day and uh, built up a nice little program in Portland, Oregon. And I had a great experience there. And then the Portland Winterhawks are there, which is our WHL team. Uh, Mike Johnson, Travis Green were running the team back then. And they brought me in to do some stuff in the playoffs for them and, and be kind of like the eye in the sky. And it got me an experience at coaching a very, very high level of hockey. They had great teams back then. I think they won the championship the year before and closely the year after, right? In that kind of span. But it, I realized I, I didn't have the passion to coach. I had to be a player. And it's totally different. Same world, just a completely different lens and mindset. And I'm back in the bus, I'm traveling 13, 14 hours, you're doing the analytics and the whole game was changing too to way more scientific. And um, I woke up again, getting back to what I alluded to earlier about kind of taking the power back. It's like, you're back in the same life again, where to be a coach at the highest levels of the world, you, you've got to move where the opportunities are. So I would have been at, again, 10, 12 cities in the next 15 years to try to grow my career to possibly coach in the NHL. And I didn't have the passion for it. And I think Steve Jobs had, had a saying, I always butcher it. I wish I could find it where I read it. But basically like, if you don't love what you do, you just look like you're crazy. Like he was so fanatical at building Apple and whatever. Like if you didn't love it, like that's a crazy person. And that's the kind of fanaticism, like fanaticism, like you have to be a little crazy to be super successful because that's the focus you need to have. And I had that as a player, like, like beer in the summer. Like I didn't drink beer in the summer. I was very focused on my diet. Like, you know, like you go to bar, but like people are still drinking beer in the summer. Like, but you're not, you know, you have to have this fanatical kind of mindset. Um, but when you switch that, then, you know, whatever career you're going to do. So for me, it was like, I didn't have that as a coach. I knew that right away. And, if you're going to be wrong, be wrong quick. And that was kind of what I had really good advice early on. So I jumped into it, realized it wasn't for me. And, and, um, and for that, for then it was, for now I know I didn't want to coach and I could move on to my next chapter or whatever that was going to be. And so how does Zenkai come into the picture? So because I was in Portland, uh, in the state of Oregon, the largest employers are Nike and Intel. So I got to know the, a lot of these high end people at both companies, if their kids played ice hockey. So Ended up meeting a friend uh, who's working for the Jordan brand and um, was working on this technology behind the scenes. So we we may become friends with the ice hockey rink. Uh, from there, remember when the NHL was doing exhibition games in China, leading to the mm-hmm. 2022 Beijing Olympics. So a friend of mine had a rink in China. So I ended up got, going to China, never been to Asia before. And I actually ran the NHL's grassroots program in Asia for two years. So Shanghai, Beijing, and I was based in Shenzhen. So we did coaching symposiums and skill clinics for, for kids and adults in China as the NHL was coming over there. So I was back and forth for China for a couple of years and back to Portland and met this gentleman that used to work for the Jordan brand at Nike. And he had this new technology that, uh, that Nike wanted to inc- incorporate and deal didn't, didn't happen. And he's like, Doug, you should go meet this guy that built this technology. And so I drove up from Seattle to sorry, from Portland to Seattle and met my partner, um, Raj. 
and we went into business together. So it was never thought I'd ever be in apparel, don't have a background in apparel, uh, but he really wanted to take this tech into the sports world and I had relationships in sports and that's how it started. What year is this? So, you know, it's funny today, I didn't even tell you this, today is uh, our six year anniversary for Zenkai. No shit. I can't shit. make this up. Of course it is. Yeah, today. Damn, it's been that six long. Six years. So six years today, I was in the law, law, law office in Portland, Oregon with our uh, trademark lawyer. And I had, I had heard the name from someone of Kaizen. Uh, Bobby's part of our, part of our company, Affilium. And um, I wrote down Kaizen. I'm like, I like that word. Did a bunch of research on it. And Kaizen's uh, the Japanese philosophy of continuous improvement. So like Samsung, sorry, um, Toyota, Lexus all use that as kind of their company motto. And I'm like, oh man, I love that. And we got back, you talked about earlier, Cal, about showing up, being accountable, well, getting better every day. Like that's all stuff I, I try to live by through my career. And I'm like, I love this idea of Kaizen. It's like one word. So I'm like, I want to call this, I want to call a clothing brand Kaizen. Love it. There's a 300 companies use that word in the world. <laughs> I'm not creative. Like, like no chance I'm going to trademark this. And so I sit there in the law office in Portland, Oregon, downtown, and we just started playing around with the word. And I, so I cut the word in half and flipped it and it came up with Zenkai. And so for me, it just like immediately hit home of, well, if Kaizen's continuous improvement, and the flips and Kai's improve continuously. And that was a done, we're done. That's it. And so for me, it really meant something, um, not just for the performance side, but getting into the planet. And I, uh, you know, ate meat my whole life and kind of normal, typical diet. And I remember retiring and I'm like, I want to reset my system. So I went um, vegan for a year, which is, was very difficult. And um, the cold turkey, I went from eating like fillets to like Monday morning, like <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Dude, that's you, it was it was the wrong way to do it. I do not. I don't know if right or wrong, but I, uh, I get it because when I want to stop stuff, I fucking cold turkey dude, it and it is hard, hard. So I wanted to reset my system. So I did that. Eventually kind of settled on being a pescatarian and introducing fish and eggs back into my diet. But the, the point was, is I I started going down the environmental route through food started educating myself books and, and great, some great Netflix documentaries and the apparel industry started kind of coming into that and the discharging of fabrics and waste and textiles and polyesters and, and, and what we're doing to our planet and how you source these fabrics and they're all made from plastic and oil. So it was, I kind of fell into that part. Like it was kind of through the back door. I got into kind of sustainability angle, but it started from food for me. And that's when Zenkai and the whole kind of thing started coming together with a, was a truly sustainable product for performance that was using natural materials. And, and that was six years ago today. I, I, it's popped up on my phone this morning. No shit. Yeah. And then we incorporated the next February. So like two or three months, like I sat with it for two or three months and started like, okay, is this going to happen? I was still running my coaching consulting business. So I was still working like full-time on that. And there's like my side, side hustle for fun. And then February came around and uh, we raised some money with uh, my parents were our first two investors. We had some friends and family from Portland, sorry, some friends come in and uh, raise some money. And we started a apparel company. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just trying to work this out because that's a major leap to start an apparel company. So what, like, how do you, how do you do, you have this technology, 
So you want to, you want to obviously incorporate that into like, but how do you decide on what direction you're going? Like just in the very rudimentary steps of fuck, I don't even like starting a podcast, you get some equipment, you know, you kind of watch some people do it. You ask some people who've done it and then you bring on a guest and you have a conversation. It's pretty simple to do that. Starting a clothing brand, sourcing shit and getting the right fits and men's, women's, athletic, like how, walk me through that a little bit. Yeah. So full disclosure, nobody should start an apparel brand. It is so hard. Which is what your dad told you. Yeah. That's what he's Sandy. been in the business. Sandy, I, told, I brought this to Sandy. Sandy's like, Doug, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard you say. I'm like, Sandy, I got to do it. I got this new tech. He's like, okay, fine. I'm going to join you and I'll hold your hand through most of this. But um, it's extremely difficult, extremely hard, especially when a lot of it's done overseas, like not in a place where you can go visit very easily. Um, it comes down to people. And I'm smart enough. No dumb. I am. I'm very good at staying in my lane and I'm really good at working with people in a group. Um, again, coming just back from sports, nothing I've done. It's just being a teammate over years. One of the things that I think has impressed me the most, you know, in, in our relationship and in watching you grow this company in pivots here and there, they're, they're minor pivots. And it's like, you, you keep the ethos, front and center. And there's so much incoming that could distract you. And it seems like you give it an appropriate amount of time and attention and decide whether or not it fits. And that like, I feel like that's got to be one of the most challenging things as an entrepreneur is to not get distracted by the shiny toys. Yes. It's um, one of the hardest things is to recognize that money and success, I firmly believe are a byproduct of doing something you love. And I was, I'm so fortunate, lucky that I, I play pro ice hockey for a lot of years and a lot of kids that play sports dream of playing their sport at the highest level. And I don't take it for granted. Obviously I worked extremely hard, but I don't take that for granted. So I had a life where I did what I loved. And then someone woke up and paid me one day for it. You're like, what is going on? I don't, I would pay to do this every day. And now you're going to pay me to show up and do this. Like, this is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Cal, I feel the same way now. And money, like, of course I want to be successful and I want to support my family and I want to take care of the people around me that, that have supported me along the way and my parents, my brothers, everybody. Uh, but I'm not worried about money. It's going to come. It's in, you know, that, that was probably what, one of the things that it's rare to see as well as, as a guy who's done a lot of investing is you didn't, you, you wanted what was best for everybody. And I always felt like you had the group's uh, interests front and center. And it was never about you getting what you deserved. And I, I've just never sensed that. And I've, I've told people that about, you know, our relationship and, What's been so special about it is, you know, in, in people that I've brought in and who have invested, I said, that's the number one thing I said, it's going to be a fair, more than fair deal. And I, I think it just goes to show that you're not about um, trying to make as much money as I can. Now you're trying to make a lot of money for a lot of people and, it, and it's back to that team aspect and 
you know, we all win together. And so it's been so cool. Well, thanks, Cal. It's super sweet saying that. And, and thank you because it's honestly what I believe. And, I, and you're, you're glad it comes out as being authentic because it, it truly is. And I learned that when I was 17 years old and I was playing major junior hockey in Red Deer, Alberta. And we won the Memorial Cup that year. And Memorial Cup's the hardest, hardest trophy to win in hockey if the win your league plus single play the best teams in all the other leagues in major junior. And we won the Memorial Cup. And after that year, we had 13 players drafted into the NHL and the other and three or four players signed professional tryouts. So of 2022 players, I think 17, 18, someone can find out, I'm sure, went on to play pro hockey at some level. And it was just taught me of like, man, like we win as a collective, all of us are going to win as individuals. And I remember I brought that later on and I was in Salzburg and as, as part of the leadership team over there and our, and I remember we're going to the playoffs of one year and we're kind of struggling going into playoffs and everyone's got bonuses, Cal and pro hockey for, for play, games played or bonuses or this or that, or goals or assists. And I, I sat the team down. I'm like, Hey, Hey boys, I don't care why any of you want to win this year. I don't care. It's because you want to buy a new hot tub or you want to send your kids to private school or this guy wants to buy a new boat. This guy wants to go to Vegas and just throw it on black and red. Like mm. it doesn't matter what your, what your reason for winning is, but let's just make sure that we're doing it together. Like we're all in this together. Your reasons for why you want to win can be completely individual. But if we don't win as a group, if we don't come together as a group, then none of that, the boat, the, the kids to private school, like that doesn't happen. And I think that's what's always been in my head is some people want to win because they want their ego wants to be in the front cover of a magazine. That's no problem. Other guy wants to buy a boat. Great. Other guy wants to put in a 401k. Great. Like there's no issue with any of that. But at the end of the day, if we don't succeed, <laughs> you don't, none of no, no, no one gets that. Yeah. And I think that's what I brought the mentality into you know, my company and, and our company and what we're doing together is that like there, it doesn't matter what individually is like, can we bring this group together? And some people fit, sometimes they don't. And you got to, in, in hockey or pro sports, cut people, fire people, trade people, businesses, you got to you know, fire people, release people. And it's uncomfortable and not easy. But at the end of the day, when you're coming from the mindset of like, the money will come if we're successful. So for me, every day is, you know, leader, if you want to say that for, for our company is like, how do I bring more successful, smarter people that have made more mistakes, people that know how to avoid the potholes. Let, I want all day long, just come, give me a call, come join the company, come be an advisor, come be on the board with us. Like, how do we find those people? And I think when you come through that lens, I attract people like you into my life that like feel the same way as I do. And just want to be part of a collective because it's the, it, that's the energy that we want to put out back there. So love it. Yeah. I'm just like stuck on this idea of you like starting this apparel company. And so how does, like, what were your first things that you produced? So we did a black t-shirt and then we did base layer uh, for, for athletes. We started in hockey because do it, you know. And which is a very technical piece base layer. It's if you're off on your seam allowances or seam tolerances, it's, it doesn't fit properly. And um, I remember parent, my parents, they allow us to use their basement as our office. 
And, 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 and it was, it was a nice, nice setup. It wasn't like a dingy, like water was dripping off the ceiling. Like it was, it was, it was a nice little desk and whatever. And I remember we set it up and a couple months built the website, got some black t-shirts and I'm just handing them all to all my buddies. And then one day the phone rang and we're, we're online D to C it was Enkai sports and the phone rang and somebody placed an order. And Sandy took the call and put it on speakerphone and somebody bought a shirt for 40 bucks <laughs> and we lost our minds. <laughs> Dude. The first sale of someone that wasn't like my buddy that just bought it or my uncle or, you know, my wife's friend or whatever. Like, and I, I took a picture. I'll, I'll find it in my phone and show you. But as like, I, we had to write down his address, had to ship it to him, took his credit card over the phone. And I was like, wow. Like it was a matter of, it was just this feeling of accomplishment. And there's five of us working at it and everyone told us we're crazy. Like we're starting an apparel brand. There's a thousand people have apparel brands. And I don't know. It was just, it was the people around me. And I just, we had this technology that I knew was special and I had to verify and vet it in a pro setting. And um, I just like, I've got no fear and I, I'm not trying to be arrogant when I say that. And Cause I got a story for you later that we'll get to. Um, I I'm on this life. And this life is Doug. And I look and speak him the way I do, but I know that this is temporary. And so my whole life, I've had this thought of like, 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 why not? Like, so why not do everything? I might fail. And you know what? That's, that's cool too, but I'm going to try. And it's kind of the way I brought went to my career. Like, again, you're told since you're this big, you're never going to play in the NHL. Like that's what you're told. Like, cause it's the, the chances don't make sense. And like I only played two games. Not like I had this crazy career, but I played a thousand pro games over the course of my career. And like, like for me, I feel like a failure. And I talked to some of my buddies like, Doug, I, I would have given my left arm to play in the NHL for one game. So it's like, it's all perspective. Right. And for me, I'm like in this life, it's like, I just want to go do as much and as cool as stuff as possible. If I fail, I'm okay with it, but it's not going to be because of lack of effort or trying or ego or anything like that. And so I think it comes back down to this, like this internal knowing, I don't know where it comes from that I'm just going to go do something and why not? And I, I don't know. I just, I know some people are ridden with anxiety and things like that, which are, I have lots of friends. I'm sure you do too. And, and that struggle every single day and I have so much empathy for them, but I, I don't have that. And I, I don't know what I've done or if it's just random, but it's um, for me, I just want to go do as much as I can. Mm. And I'm okay that if it doesn't work out. Yeah. I sense that. What was your North star as you were starting out with Zenkai? Like what was keeping you kind of, waking up every morning and, and, and hitting it hard. I think it was, we were doing something different. We had a technology, this filium technology that could be applied to natural materials. So our story was different. So every day I talked, oh, you have a t-shirt company. Yes, we do. But we're doing it different. That's what excited me every single day. So when I talked to our clients, our partners, uh, you know, NHL teams, NHL players, pro athletes, and other sports. That's what excited me every day was Again, getting back to the doing something you love, I love that I, I want to be a part of a solution. Um, I, I try not to buy plastic water bottles. I, I, I try to 
whether it's recycling, whether it's being a pescatarian. And then I know it's a rabbit hole because fish has mercury in it. And that's a whole thing too. But <laughs> at the end of the day, it's like, I just try to do my best every day, but I am the guy that will rock, walk two or three extra blocks to put something in a recycling bin and just instead of throwing in the garbage, like, like I'm that guy. Um, so I, I love being part of a solution. I love being part of a team that was bringing something different to the market that would potentially help. Uh, so that's what made me feel good every single day. Um, I'd be the worst guy in a business that I didn't felt was like helping. Like, so I, for me, I need to be part of something I believe in. Um, I think there's a term for that to investing. Like I can't, I couldn't invest in like, like weapons. Like that's just not me. I, I know we need weapons. I get it. I'm not an idiot. I'm not, I'm not naive, but I, I couldn't be a guy that would be supporting that. Even though I, I know that I sound like a hypocrite because I do appreciate being safe. Um, so for me, I need to be part of a team that's doing something for good. And again, gets back to the, like money will just happen. Success will happen when you're putting that love and energy into something that, that you really feel good about. So it's like, I don't feel like I'm selling. I'm just like talking about what I love that. And that to me is a little bit of a difference, even though the outcome might be the same. I may sound salesy, but it's, I, I believe in this. Yeah. And so what is it? you know, let's, let's dig into Philium a little bit because there's been, I don't know if you call it a transition, but there's, you know, you've, I don't know, how would you describe your relationship from Zenkai to Philium? And yeah. So with Raj, he's been such an incredible partner for five years and being in textiles for over 50 years and, and the Shaw Safari brand being a very well-known brand in the space and him himself being a, a savant and an icon in his industry. Um, again, I'm only, you're only as good as the people around you. You're only as good as your teammates. Um, so for me, it's like, I owe so much to people like you and to Raj and all of our immediate team, um, at you know, Zenkai now at Filium and with Raj, he were completely aligned where, where we see our technology helping the planet and where we're, where we want to take it to go. So that was always such an easy conversation. And last November, we sat down and said, okay, right, actually right around this time, like it was like October, um, then Kai had been five years and we lasted through a pandemic that was, you know, I think people look back like way longer than I think everyone kind of expected it to be. Like it was two and a half years, especially, I know I was in Canada, I was in Bermuda, like it was a long time for a lot of places and we survived during this time. And I, people were shocked, like, how are you not bankrupt and dead and I'd be back coaching again. Your company's dead. Um, and I sat down with Raj last November. I said, okay, Raj, like we validated this. We're, we have professional athletes in all the major sports wearing it. We've got sales every single month. Uh, the technology works. We've got the certifications. We've got the testing. And, and we sat down and said, let's, let's, let's do this. Like, let's take this to where we think it can go. And that was the first conversation last November. I think I shared a lot of it with you, I think a few months later. And, and that started this new chain of events where we are now taking our technology to all the other industries. And the response has been incredible. It's actually been a little overwhelming. And you know, we talked earlier last night at dinner, like as an entrepreneur, you go from saying yes to everything, every conference, every, I don't know how many Zoom meetings I sat in and, and pitches I made and and we talked about pop-ups. I went to four or five CrossFit gyms, put the table out and like yeah. water. Like, what the hell am I doing? Like, you sell 10 t-shirts. Can't even afford the gas to my car to get out there for the yeah. event. Yeah. Meanwhile, I haven't paid myself anything in four years. Like, 
my bank account's going like this. My wife wants to go for a nice dinner. You're like, oh my God, like, what am I doing? You know? And then now getting to a place where you can say no and kind of preserve your energy and, and say, listen, that's a great pro, the application for our technology. It's not what we, we can't do that in the next six months. Please reach out again in, in next year or whatever it is. And now taking our tech Cal to all these industries are like, wow, we we've needed this. And we tarried a little bit last night. It's, it's fun. The dopamine hit of people saying yes is, is great, but you just, you can't get 200 yeses without just getting down and then closing the nitty gritty on the contracts and the, the pricing and the royalties. Like that's, that stuff's not sexy, but that is the lifeblood of a business and being, make sure your cash flow positive. So for us now, it's really making sure we're picking the right partners. They're strategic, they're industry leaders, they are iconic brands. And getting back to our ethos, recognize that we want to be, we want the textile industry to become more natural. And remember, like, not remember, like for hundreds, like textile, I think besides obviously the sex industry, textiles has been around, it's the long, longest industry in the world. Like since the first person put on a first prayer or whatever <laughs> yeah. that wasn't a leaf, yeah. that's been, apparel's been around for. Mm. And it was all natural back then. I don't know, 500, 1,000, thousands of years, whatever it is. And it's only been the last 25 years that we've brought in synthetics. And again, synthetics, there was a need for them you couldn't use cotton or merino wool or some of these fabrics as a true performance fabric. Um, they, were, they were also expensive and we needed cheaper alternatives. And we went to the synthetic industry, which is you know, provided, you know, it's derived from oil and plastic and, and it's not meant to be on human skin. And you're finding now people and I've got friends and they're like, man, like our, you know, our kids got these rashes and it's, gluten intolerant. It's a wheat allergy. It's this. And they're now finding people are getting rashes due to synthetic materials because they're wearing it six, seven, 10 hours a day. You're going to a baseball tournament as a young kid. Like when you and I grew up, you wore a cotton t-shirt under, under your equipment. Yeah. And now I got my six and seven year old nieces and nephews wearing like uh, a base layer that's synthetic 12 hours a day at a baseball tournament or a hockey tournament or a lacrosse tournament. They're, they're, their little tiny skin is not ready for oils, like the plastic and the synthetics that's on it. So again, being part of a solution, it's been very exciting to bring a technology that we can start taking that world and make it a little bit more natural. And it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, the biggest brands in the world use a lot of synthetics, especially in the performance sports area. A lot of the highest end brands, the Chloe's of the world and, and um, the Ralph Lauren's, like they, own, they still use only natural uh, materials very expensive. It's very high quality, but in the sports world, it's, it's gone mostly synthetic. So with our technology to, to maybe make a small change in that synthetic world to be more natural. I mean, that's like a super cool challenge and why not? Yeah. Well, and so now the, 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 the next step or part of the next step is you've, you've got nearly a hundred different brands, industries interested in activations of the technology in whatever their, their kind of line is. 
And so then you winnow that down to a much smaller group. And then from that, you're trying to sign on just a handful. And what, so just explain to the, the people what that process looks like. I know you've got the three different avenues mm-hmm. to kind of roll out the philium. Yeah. So basically anything that touches human skin, you know, adult skin, baby skin, pet skin, anything that touches skin that you want to be natural, soft, and breathable, we can be applied to. And so the application is, is, is vast. So for us, again, we talked about not getting distracted with these shiny objects is like, let's make sure we focus on the ones that are easy to bring to the market. Um, that doesn't take a reinvention of a bunch of machinery or, or a whole other industry. So we're starting with kind of do what you know, and starting with what we know first, which is our kind of network and our bases workwear for uniforms and performance sports. So we're kind of starting there first. And the first way we can work with a partner or brand is do everything soup to nuts, to call, call it a turnkey. So someone wants a couple thousand shirts, we can source the fabric, activate the fabric, cut and sew it, ship to a finished product that you either get your employees or you sell online. Uh, so we can do that. That's for smaller brands or corporations. That's kind of that sweet spot that, that, aren't, that aren't in apparel full-time or they're just starting out in apparel very expensive to go overseas and source materials from fabrics. So if you go to places like China or Vietnam, you need like millions of units uh, just to get into some of those factories. So for a small brand, it's very difficult unless you have a huge bankroll. So then the second way is, is fabric supply is let's say you've got cut and sew house. Some of all the big, big players do is we can basically take fabric, activate it, whatever blend they want and then ship them an activated product that they cut and sew themselves. And that's where kind of the big boys, that's what they want. Um, it's easy for us. It's easy for them. They handle the supply chain after they get the fabric and then they cut and sew to whatever they want. They go and sell it online or in stores. It's their choice. Then the third way is more of a cortex model is activating a factory or, or, or we were calling it mill accreditation. So we go right to the mill where all the fabrics been sourced to and we activate there before cut and sew. So we're very bespoke. We can work with many different size of companies, smallest brands, the biggest brands in the world, really custom tailor-made. Um, everybody wants to be first. Naturally, it's kind of humans. They did want to be the first to say they've got this. So that's where it's been a little overwhelming at start is trying to decide who those first people will be and first brands will be. Um, so it's very exciting. Um, but it's a, it's a lot of work and it's, and it's a lot of work to really bring these relationships. And I mean, some of the brands we're talking to, they're all household brands. Everyone, everyone, when, it, when we announce this, everyone's going to know who they are. I mean, six months, Cal, six months, I've been working on some of these deals and it, it takes time. It's, everyone's got a boss. Everyone's got a level and a VP. They've got to run it through the chain and make sure that they're completely compliant. So it's, it's a long process. And, but once you get the first couple, especially in a specific industry, it becomes way easier to validate it for major, for more people after that. So that's kind of what, uh, that keeps me up at night. That's our challenge right now is take this incredible opportunity, whittle it down and now execute our first, you know, five to eight, um, you know, customers. Yeah. Cause what, like, you know, the layman or even me, I see those like, Oh, why wouldn't they do it? You know, it sounds like such a great, you know, step towards, being green and obviously the performance part of it, 
but they, they, we're talking about iconic brands that are going to change what they do. It's fucking massive. <laughs> like it really is. They're trusting, you know, you and Philium to, you know, be able to perform as, as you you know, you share with them. And so it, it's, you know, if I'm Adidas and I'm interested, would you take some of their garments, activate it and give them like, look, this is what it would be. And they could kind of do a side-by-side test. Like, how do you go about doing that? Yeah. There's a lot of testing um, that we've been doing in the last, more so in the last six months. The other, the testing we've done before has been in field, in, in real world testing. So we've got great feedback. We know this works and this doesn't work. Um, but now just having a, a sign scientific lab validating this. So that's been our, our um, program last few months is getting a way more scientific data behind it, which, which we're been excelling at to be quite frank. And it's uh, the feedback's been incredible. And remember that with the technology that we have with Philium, the re-education that has to go back into natural materials are great and they're good for you, but now they're performance fabrics as well. That Correlation has never been done before. So that is a re-education with an entire marketplace that's been taught moisture wicking, a dry fit type material. Well, that's anti-science. And so we're now saying the opposite. We're backed by science and we are now going to change and re-educate a market. They're like, well, you're wearing a, like a polo that's for playing golf, but it's cotton, Like that's going to be terrible. It's be thick and heavy. It's going to, I'm already a terrible golfer. I'm going to be way worse wearing this, yeah. right? But no, no, no. Sweat stays on your body. Flame repels it. Keeps, works with thermoregulation. Your body's natural cooling system. It evaporated, uh, the water, sweat goes to water, from water to vapor. It keeps you cool for longer. That's what our human body is designed to do as our core temperature rises. So the science of sweat is, is the scientific term is thermoregulation. So that's all factual. It's all real. So that is the challenge. And that's, again, what, what gets exciting is educating a market and, and being a, a, dis, I can't think of all, a disruptor or whatever it is. So that's, again, if it was easy, everyone would do it, right? Is that what everybody says? Yeah. Like if, if you had a billion dollar idea and it was super easy to execute, like everybody would just do them all day long and that would be happen. This is what. I get excited for, and you probably see it in my, my expression. It's like, I'm, you're telling a new story. You're educating a new market. It's extremely difficult. It's expensive. It's time consuming. But if we can pull this off, we've literally changed one of the oldest professions in the world with a new technology. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I, I want to get into some of the testing that you share with Lindsay and I before, before you and I got on here today and just kind of highlight what some of the, the, you know, when you got the results back, you know, some of the things that exceeded your expectations, but I'd also like, before we do that, like really you, you, you did a great job of it there, but like, like really break down, this is dry fit. This is what they promise. This is what it actually does. And then this is what a, a product with Philium technology does, how it performs. So basically the premise of wicking 
is, and every company has their version of wicking. So Adidas, it could be climate 365 and Bauer, I think it's 37.5 or the core temperature of a human body. Can't quite remember what the number is. Um, dry fit from Nike is obviously one of the most famous ones. And these are the greatest marketing companies in the world. Like that, that's what they do. Um, yeah, they might sell t-shirts or hockey equipment, but they're the greatest marketing. That's why their companies are so successful. Um, but what, when you break it down on a scientific level, what wicking is, is it pulls the sweat, it wicks sweat or whatever off your skin into the garment. So your garment is now wet, but what you're robbing yourself of is the chemical reaction of that sweat going from a liquid to a vapor. That chemical reaction is actually what cools our skin down. So if you're wearing a wicking shirt, your body's saying, hang on a second, the, the sweat just keeps getting pulled off. It's not going to vapor. It's not cooling me down. I've got to work harder to produce more and more sweat to get that chemical reaction to cool down my organs. And so then what happens, and if anyone's experienced a heat stroke or heat exhaustion, if your core temperature continues to rise, but you don't get the cooling effect, that's what heat stroke is. That's where you get lightheaded or dizzy. You got to sit down because your core temperature is rising so fast. Your inner organs are overheating. Just like I'm sure everyone's gone to the phone and or the phone, they've gone to the beach with their iPhone. They put it out on the, on the blanket. And then a few minutes later, it says iPhones overheated, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> shut me down. Yeah. <laughs> Actually it, it shuts down itself. Yes. Turns it off. That's what our human body does. When we overheat, we faint, we shut our body shuts off. So not only are you wearing a material that's not good for the planet, it's derived from oil, oil and plastic, you're, it's you're overheating your body as you're wearing it. So that's what waking is. But that's what the story has been for 20s odd plus years because you couldn't wear a natural material as a performance fabric until filling. So for us, we've not only taken our technology, we've now applied it to natural materials. So the first time ever you can wear a cotton t-shirt and it feels incredible. Your body stays cooler. Now you get to the other aspects of you're not absorbing any bacteria. So you can wear the same shirt four five, six times in a row and there's no smell. I've done the test too. I didn't believe you when you told I, me. Cal, I, bear, I barely not believe I, myself. Yeah. <laughs> I've been here for six years. And so I, I, I did the tests. I think I told you I wore it when I would ride the Peloton and six or seven times I would take it off. I would hang it on the handlebar. I would come out the next time. Obviously it was dry and I would smell it each time. I'm like, God damn, it doesn't smell it's, it's at all. It's crazy. It's honestly crazy. My wife is so sick of smelling my armpits because every time I come home, I'm like, she's like, Doug, it doesn't smell. I'm like, I know, but I can't be blinded by how much I want this to work. Yeah. And so again, now getting back to the re-education, Cal, is I have some of my best friends in the world that I dug. I just washed uh, Philly activated product after every workout. I'm like, but you don't have to. They're like, Doug, I just, I throw it in the hamper. That's what I do. Again, re-education. Yeah. There, it's not gross. There's no microbes in the shirt. That's why it doesn't smell. Yeah. So talk about that. Explain that to people. So basically our swim, our swim, our sweat is naturally odorless. There's no smell to our sweat, but in our sweat, we have the bacteria from our skin and from our pores. It's carried in the sweat. So sweats, it's a distributor of the bacteria, but the sweat itself, there's no odor and just not, not normal sweat. 
So what happens, and again, on the polyester side, polyester attracts the microbes. It track, attracts bacteria just naturally as a fabric. Cotton, natural materials actually repel it a little bit just naturally. Again, when you're activated with philium, because it repels the water, it repels the bacteria that's carried in our sweat. So there is no bacteria in the shirt. So you can golf in a golf shirt two or three rounds in a row, sweat, 100 degree heat, and you won't notice the smell. And so now, again, getting back to this environmental piece, you can now, as a single person at home, save water. And I know it gets overwhelming sometimes. I get overwhelmed with some of the stats. I'm like, how, how am I supposed to save the planet? Like, do I eat fish? Do I not eat fish? Like, I bought a plastic water bottle the other day because I was so thirsty in the airport and I didn't have a refill station. Like, I'm guilty as anybody. I want to do my best every day. And it gets kind of daunting. I'm like, well, what's my recycling that's going to do? Or I, I haven't bought plastic water in, in X amount of years. How does that really help? Well, everything helps a little bit. I laugh with my wife. It's like, we look at our credit card statement. I'm like, why is it so high this month? And you look at it, like there's no purchase over a hundred dollars, but it's just like every day, yeah. just 80 bucks, 70 uh, bucks, 60 yeah. bucks, 80 bucks. And you spent three or four grand. And like, I didn't even buy anything this month for myself. It just adds up a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. And, and what's the, I love this saying, it's from the book, Atomic Habits. And it says daily might seem insignificant little habits when done over time yield staggering results. And it's, it gets back to that little bit every day. Then what Kobe Bryant say 1% every day, that was his whole thing, a 1% better every day. Well, then you look back and you're like, oh my God, like we've, we've gone a long way. Or we've saved a lot, a lot of money as a family on our credit card because you're cutting out this and this and this. So again, for us on the environmental side, it's like, you imagine having a full set of workout stuff and like, you know, guys like you are, you know, I'm pretty active. I work out an hour, three or four times a week. And like, I'm doing laundry now, like once every three weeks, maybe once a month for my workout stuff. And before Philium activation, I was doing laundry once on Saturday because I had seven shirts and seven compression shorts and seven pairs of socks. And I'm doing laundry every week. Now you have three or four active kids or, or husband, wives in the family, and you're doing laundry every second day for some families with lacrosse and baseball and hockey and football. So imagine what you're saving as that household by doing less laundry, less pollutants in the rivers, uh, less um, things being rinsed out of your clothing, a lot of, a lot of technology applied topically. So again, it's just another thing as a family that to lower your carbon footprint. And now when it's done on a mass scale, the numbers get big. So when we talk, Cal, to our, our workwear partners, like it's some of them, it's a hundred million gallons of fresh water. We're going to save them next year just by activating their work, their, their uniforms. And, and that's by them washing it after their second wear versus their first. And yes. you, you've told me that they could wear it five times. Like it's, it's, it, it gets crazy. And then that's one company. You got 10 companies doing that. And that now you're making that major difference, right? Or if you have 30 or 40 million households that are doing one less laundry load because of an active household, like you add that all up, you now, like now you're helping with the droughts. We all see that the climate, climate's, it's, it's all changing. It's getting hotter. Things and it's pretty self-efficient and it's, it's again, getting back to doing something you love and being part of a solution. So that's what wakes me up every single day is doing something you love and being part of 
something that feels good and, and being part of a solution, not adding to something that we know is going to have to change. Yeah. And it's, uh, one of the things I've noticed in wearing the, the shirts particularly is at first it's a, it's a, it's a little, um, disconcerting because, you know, I'll be on the Peloton and my, my shirt's not, um, kind of sucking off any of the sweat and my shorts are soaked, <laughs> Yep. but my body. So, and so for people to just get a visual here, like you're, you're on the Peloton, my chest is soaking wet and the sweat is dripping down on my shorts. Now, if, if I ride for a long time, it'll eventually pick up some of the yes. sweat. Yes. But the body actually does stay cool. And I had a workout yesterday where I was moving some weight and I was doing some breathing work. And I mean, generally, I mean, it's 95 degrees here in Austin. I would not wear a shirt. And yesterday I wore my, you know, my Zenkai Philium shirt with the unlearn on it, which I, I've done some for some friends and we're going to replace in a larger order to, to sell. But I love the fact that it feels comfortable. You know, this one that I'm wearing right now was, was in the hamper. It wasn't the one I worked out with, but it was in the hamper. I wanted to wear it today for the shirt, for the, for the podcast. I was like, fuck it. I threw it in the, the laundry in the dryer for like three minutes, put it on. It was like, it was coming right out of the, I mean, it was, it's amazing. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's something you about experience and it feels bizarre. It feels bizarre because it's what we're supposed to do naturally, but we've gone away from it a little bit. Um, and from in you know, society with a lot of the synthetics we've been wearing. And so it, now it's bringing it back again to, isn't it funny? I think it comes full circle. Like, Oh, what eating an apple. That's just like way better than eating a protein shake with fake apple parts in it. Like, of course it is, but it's like all of us, you go through that full cycle. So for us, natural materials, uh, it's keeping the sweat on your skin. That's what we're designed to do. And it's kind of fun bringing it full circle and being part of uh, a new wave of something that's been done for thousands of years naturally. Um, that's, that's exciting. Yeah. Tell me, tell me, give me some of these results from the testing that kind of blew your mind. Yeah. So it's, again, you, you, you know it in your heart, like about the no smell thing, but like, everyone's like, Doug, I, how do I believe you? I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, I get it. Like, I wouldn't believe myself either. Like I just met this person or whatever. Like I wear it 10 times, doesn't smell. I don't believe it. I wouldn't believe that either. Um, so we did uh, 14 tests, just got the results, I think two weeks ago. And um, like, again, they, these all scientific in a lab. So like, no microbes detected, no odor detected. Um, we did something called what's a vapor transmission test where basically you, you could do it at home. You take a piece of fabric and, and you blow hot air, like bl just blow air from your mouth through it. If you can feel it on the other side, you can feel how much the transmission comes through. Obviously they do it scientifically. So like a polyester shirt might be 300 is the number they give to like a polyester shirt, which is the not breathable at all. And our, our material comes back, the Zenkai material activated by Philium. And we're at I think six, 767 or 87, like two and a half times more breathable. So think of, again, you're outside, you're, you're working in a job that's outside, it's outdoors, or you're a professional athlete, or just a coach, it's outdoors. Like you want a breathable material on you. So Cal, like the whole world's going to hear about this. Like I've been working for five years to develop this concept brand of Zenkai, to bring it to the 
you know, some of the most well-known athletes on the planet that are saying, Doug, this is incredible. And we haven't brought it to the masses yet. That's what 2024 is, brother. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be like a sledgehammer in the sense of like, it's, everyone's going to hear about us. Like it's going to be everywhere. And it's fun. Almost like, I don't know what the analogy is like, you have this secret. It's you're so excited to tell everybody, but you gotta be patient. Maybe it's like almost like Christmas, like, you know, Christmas is coming and you're going to get something. It's like, you want it to come, but you're also like just amping up for it. Like, that's what it feels like every day right now is like, we're onto something. We know it's going to work. It's extremely hard. It's not easy. We got a great team around us. And then 2024 is going to come and we're going to announce these partnerships and it's going to be, everyone will be able to experience this feeling of what we're actually naturally supposed to be doing. And um, that's fun. What are some of the challenges you're, you're facing right now? I think one of the biggest challenges in, in the sports specific side is it's been dominated by synthetics for the last 20 or so years. Um, so it's a re-education like we talked about earlier. Um, it, I can't sp- spend Cal an hour in a beautiful setting like this, having a podcast to explain to somebody everything we've talked about today. Like, wait, what, what do you have? Four seconds on social media, they say now? something scrolls up, like that's the, that's the, that's the time you have four seconds. So even too, like one of my challenges is like with our technology is so incredible. How do I distill what we've talked about last 20 minutes into four seconds mm. on someone's Instagram feed? Yeah. How does, how does the biggest brands in the world that we're currently, you know, close to signing, how do they market that in four seconds? So that is a challenge, the re-education, but that's also the excitement of the opportunity. Um, that keeps me up at night. Uh, you know, like it's always nice to be wanted, but when do you exit? When do you take on more partners? When you dilute yourself? So on the business aspect, you want to make the best decision for the company. And ultimately it lies on myself to bring to our board what the opportunities are. And I don't know what to do most days. Like, how do you prioritize? Like, do I prioritize this workwear company or this performance company or this hat company? I want to do all of them. So it's again, incredibly rewarding and humbling having those opportunities, but it's also like, and then cause you are going to piss people off. Like, well, Doug, I wanted this first. Yeah. And, but now you went over here and I'm like, sorry, man, like there's nothing to do with you. It, it's, it's business. And it's, this was just opportunities a little bit bigger and I had to make a decision. And I'm going to make wrong decisions. I'm going to screw up. And we're going to, you and I are going to grab a beer and look back. Dude, why did we should have done that one? Mm. You know? And so like, I know that's going to happen, but how do you just mitigate that and making sure you, what I think uh, Jeff Bezos, just like a last month I read the reason why he became so successful. I think it was in his words is like, he could make, you know, 80% of the decisions with like only 60% of the information. I might be screwing up those, those numbers, mm-hmm. but Kelly, I can't, you like, if you're running a successful business, you can't wait for a hundred percent of the information because it's gone. The opportunity is gone. So you've got to sometimes make those snap judgments with 40, 50, 60% of the information. Okay. That's, we got to make a commitment. We got to go to that. And so that's the kind of stuff that rattles into my brain all day is not screwing up. Like my closest friends and family, people like you that I look up to, our advisors, the network, like they're, they're all my partners in this. And like, I don't want to disappoint anybody. 
Um, I will because someone's going to have a relationship that we can't facilitate and they might be upset with me and I, I'm going to have to take that. And it'll be a difficult conversation to have. So that's the kind of stuff that, you know, day to day, it's rattling around up there. I, I meditate, I journal. My wife says I should be doing more of it, which, and she's not wrong. <laughs> um, I go for my runs are very therapeutic for me. Um, a lot of times like, I'm like that crazy guy. Like I don't listen to anything. Sometimes I just think and just breathe. And I think when you're talking, you can't receive is kind of how I think of it. So for me, I need to sometimes be silent and I love people. I love talking. So it's sometimes difficult for me, but my runs, I get that. I go for an hour, not like hardcore, like Theo or anything like that, yeah. but uh, go for an hour. I don't listen to anything most days. I just, just with my thoughts, uh, to try to tap into that energetic because I, I don't have all the answers. And people look at you as like, what's the, what's the decision for this? And you have to make a decision. And sometimes it's scary. <laughs> and you're in that phase right now where you're, you're going to winnow the group down to, you know, this smaller, you know, 12, 15, whatever the number is. And then from there, do another round of due diligence on, on both sides. And then who we're, we're launching with. Yes. Yes. And it's, um, it's fun because we've got partners in different industries and that's one of the biggest getting back to like the, not really an ethos, but a goal of mine in the company is like our 30, 60, 90 day plan is I don't want to activate five of the same exact brand in the same exact space. Yes. I want to do a hundred in the same brand in the same space, but for our first 10, 12, 15, whatever it's going to be, I want to have them four or five different industries. I want to do workwear. I want to do pets. I want to do uniforms. I want to do performance. I want to do flannel. I want to do hunting or fishing. Like I want to, I want to validate different markets because that's going to be such a great litmus test of like, oh man, like, and honestly, Cal, like there's probably a hundred applications that you and I haven't even thought of right now. Yeah. Like someone's going to phone me going, hey, have you ever thought of doing this? And I'm like, that sounds like amazing. Never thought of that. And so that's, what's exciting too, is that this technology is not like, oh, it's one thing. And we're going to like, it's constantly evolving. We've got this really cool group we're dealing with um, overseas in, in, in Europe right now. I mentioned to you last night. So getting back to my days of Zenkai, like I'm not satisfied. And there's two words I learned early on in my sports career that that we were kind of told by our coach that was like this, we can never, never seep in. And the first one was complacency. And the day that I wake up, I'm like, oh, I know everything. Or I, I know this, like, oh my God, just slap me in the face. <laughs> if I ever say that to you, slap me. Like it's on video, it's on record. <laughs> like being complacent is, is just to me, like it just, I can't seep into, it, does, it can't seep into my life. And I think about it every day when I wake up, how do I get better? How do I learn? How do I surround myself? How do I get better uh, advice? How do I seek out? How do I take a class or watch a, a masterclass or a TED talk? Um, and then the second word, and ironically, the both C words is consistency. So for me, it's every day. It's not letting complacency sit in. And how do I be consistent? And again, it goes back to being accountable and things like that. So for me, if I can make consistent decisions with how the brand, how I feel, how we all want to portray in the media, how do I want to portray it and, and, and um, with our clients is that's what always I'm kind of going through my head is 
listen, I want to launch in these categories. I want to work with more natural, less synthetic. And if I'm making the decisions from there, then, then I, I'm okay standing up and saying no to someone. I'm, I'm sorry it didn't work out. I apologize if I annoyed you or, or, or wasted your time. But from the outset, this is kind of what, what we're looking for. And if they're mad at me, they, they, hell, I'm going to piss people off. Like it's going to happen. Um, and that was part, of, I think, my uh, maturation as a man was um, okay not being liked. Mm. Early on in my life, and probably a lot of people can maybe relate to that. Like I, I want to, pe- no one wants people not to like them. Like everyone think deep down wants to be a people pleaser and people like them. And then as I matured, I realized, yeah, but like if I'm going and drinking with this group of people, cause I want them to like me. And then I'm like over here with this group of people, you kind of start like losing yourself a little bit. And I think we all have friends. You're like, that guy calls you and you're like, oh man, this is going to be a long night tonight. If I say yes to this, this text or whatever, like my wife's not gonna be too happy if I'm going with this group tonight. You know, we all have friends like that. And as you mature and you kind of start realizing like, oh man, like my energy, like I need to protect this energy and my time. And for me, it's my wife and it's my business. And if I'm so I'm getting better at saying no and protecting my time and protecting my energy. Um, because at the end of the day, we all have free will as far as I can go drink with the best of them and I can go do this, but man, you know what? Like if I'm going to have this complacency or this consistency every day, what's uh, there's a saying of uh, um, free will is an illusion in the sense of if you want something bad enough, sorry, choice is illusion you want something bad enough, choice is actually illusion. So if you want to lose weight and we sit down and you put all these donuts in front of you, like there's no choice. Just don't eat the fucking donut. Yeah. Like, there's no choice. If, if that's what you want is to lose weight in this example, if you want to be successful in business, but you're out all night or not taking care of yourself, you're not mentally sharp. Like there's no choice. Go in bed, mm. get up. Right. So this idea of if you want to be successful, there is actually no choice. We all know what the choice is. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. <laughs> uh, so I want to wrap. You talked about before we got on about you, you had a, a, an Akashic record story. Oh. But before we do that, let's let's talk about anybody who's interested. You know, maybe there's a big brand that's listening. Uh, how, how do they inquire? Great question. Um, I don't know if, if the comments, maybe we can throw maybe my email address in or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, our company is called Philium, F-I-L-I-U-M. Um, I can throw maybe my email address onto there. We're just going to, we're redoing our, our website. We're just kind of refreshing this whole thing. It's been kind of a whirlwind, to be honest, last six months. Yep. Um, so we're just keeping things pretty tight as we get our partners here before our first kind of mainstream launch. We haven't even announced all the amazing people we have as far as investors and advisors and board members. So we're kind of keeping things a little bit tight right now. Uh, and then it's going to be, we're going to be everywhere. Yeah. So yeah. Okay, awesome. Maybe I'll be the best way to do it. We'll do that. Done. So I, I apologize because I do not know the young lady you spoke with, but I watched one of your podcasts a little while ago. And I think she was an Akashic record healer. Was it either, it would either been Laura Coe or um, Vanessa Lambert. Yeah. I I don't quite remember, but anyway, and I'm like, oh, and I'm, I'm fascinated by the spiritual realm. 
fascinated by energies. Um, we talked about a little bit earlier about like you meet people, you're like, I like that person. It makes no sense why I like them. I just met them in the grocery store or whatever. I like that person. There's obviously a reason we just aren't, our lizard brains are too stupid to understand this whole thing that we're part of. So I was in Portland, Oregon. I was walking on the street one day, having coffee and there's a little bookstore. Uh, so on 23rd Avenue, if you guys haven't been to Portland, it's an incredible city. Um, 23rd Avenue is a really cool hip part of the city. And um, backing this story up, sorry, a little bit is my dad, Sandy was the first one to kind of instill a spiritual nature or spiritual like um, questioning into me and my brothers. Like he was, he was never, ever push religion on us, but he's like, I want you guys to experience spirituality. And so he, he exposed it to us, if that makes sense, without ever feeling I had to follow something or, and so when I turned 20, I really started getting interested in, in religion. And then I started reading, you know, the more, the, what's that, the, the art of motor, motorcycle maintenance and, and all these Zen books and these Buddha books and, and Christianity books. And I joined a Bible study class to learn about the Bible. And I was really fascinated. And I kind of found my, my peace with where my spiritual, you know, journey kind of landed. And um, I have my practices that, that, that I love and work for me. And I, I, just, I do them and I, they work, they work, but like, I'm, I don't preach it. I don't talk about it. Um, so my dad got us, I don't know if he called it a Kaushik records back then, but with the old, I, I, I sat down in a chair with a healer and he recorded on the cassette, like a little wow. microphone recorded. I've been like 11, so born in 83. So like, you know, 90 ish, 94, 95, whatever it was. And they, I listened to this like 20 years later, my dad was cleaning out something, found these tapes, but this is so cool. Like 11 year old Doug is getting this reading. <laughs> and, uh, this gentleman on the tape healer or whatever goes on to tell this story. And he's like, your son, Doug, I obviously was in the room beside him. He's like, he was born into royalty in this past life. Um, and this royalty was going to give him everything he could have ever wanted in that life. But he died as an infant, like very early on. And spiritual world and how they work, and trust me, I don't know how any of it works, mm. but how I, I know how it feels is uh, they're like, that was like a missed opportunity. Like this young boy is born into royalty and died as an infant for whatever reason. It's not. Listen to this tape. I'm like 26, 27. So fast forward, maybe a year, two years later, I'm in Portland, Oregon, 23rd Avenue, cup of coffee in my hand, killing a couple hours kind of before I meet my buddy. And I walk by this bookstore and it says Akashic Record Healer. And I was like, Akashic Record? I'm like, is that the thing that I had when I was like 11 years old? I listened to a couple years ago. Like I'm usually not that part of city, never seen an Akashic Record Healer in my life ever posted anywhere. So I walk in and a guy's name is like Brother Ed or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I go up to the front desk of this little bookshop and I said, Hey, I just saw the sign on the door. I'm like, I got like an hour to kill, but probably huge shot in the dark. He's even available. They're like, he just had a cancellation. He's available in like five minutes. I'm like, Oh my God. Uh, can I book a session? Like, absolutely. Okay. Come back in five minutes. Go up here. Cal, this gentleman goes to tell me the same exact story, almost verbatim. Like you, you can't make this up. Oh my God. Like, and I'm like 28, 29 ish years old. Like, 
I heard the story two years ago on this cassette that was done when I was 11 in a different country, like a different place. Cause you're like, Oh, they know each other. There's some sort of weird, like, (laughs) you know, Freemason situation going on. They're like sharing notes, like the exact same story. And he says, Doug, you know, people call you lucky. And that's what he said to me. I said, yeah, I get that a lot. And, um, everything just comes in your lap and falls to it. But you know how that works. Like everyone, you work extremely hard. What overnight success takes 10 years, right? The guy playing the garage band for 20 years and he gets a one hit and he's like overnight success. Yeah. I worked 20 years for that overnight success. And I've been told that a lot. I'm like, Oh, you're so lucky. Things come to you and they fall to you. They come easy to you. And you, you know the, how hard it is that you actually behind the scenes. And so the guy says to me in this Portland, Akashic record, he was like, Doug, people are going to say your life's easy. Things come to you easy but it's because this is the life that you were supposed to have born into royalty and your, your, the cost of records know that. And this is why it's happening now. So you're going to be afforded these luxuries that maybe would have been have to you thousand years ago, wherever it was. How do you make this up? That is so rad, right? <laughs> Hell yeah. And you're going, Oh my God. So again, like you go back to, you know, back to full sort of that no fear thing. So I'm like, for me, it's like, I want to be around good people. I want to go do some cool shit. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fall on my face. Things aren't going to work out, but some things might work out. And you know what? Let's just get after it. And uh, anyway, I had, I had to wrote it down because I had to tell you that story. Yes. To the you know, I love goes. a good Akashic record yeah. story. Well, awesome, brother. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. And now we get to go play a little golf. Can't wait. We're not doing freaking wolf hammer. No, no. We'll <laughs> Let's keep, recall in Marty. We'll, we'll keep it very social. <laughs> I like it. All right, I love you, brother. Yeah, I love you too. Thanks, Cal. You've been listening to The Great Unlearn. For more information, check out the show notes or head over to thegreatunlearn.com for additional episodes and information regarding events, retreats, and the TGU store. If you like what you heard today, please click subscribe and share this with friends who might enjoy our platform. Don't forget to leave that five-star rating and review as it really helps us spread the love and unlearning. You can find me on Instagram at cal.callahan and on YouTube under The Great Unlearn. Thanks for listening to The Great Unlearn and we'll talk soon. No, no different, only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned.